Welcome to the Rock Christian Church Podcast. Today's message is Kingdom Characteristics by Pastor Sean Wood. Father, I thank you that your word is living and active and I pray today, Lord, that as we open your word, our hearts would be open and our ears would be open. Lord, speak to us, we ask, in your wonderful and glorious name. Amen. We're going to continue to talk about what is a disciple or what is discipleship. Uh, And if you could meet me in Matthew chapter 5, while you're making your way there, uh, can anybody remember a movie uh, starring John Travolta called Wild Hogs? Anybody remember that movie? I think it, I think it had uh, Tim Allen, I think it had John Travolta and some other weird guy that probably shouldn't have been riding a motorbike. And uh, these guys uh, kind of have a midlife crisis and decide to jump on some Harleys and go across the country. And you can go and watch it later on. And I was, and I was thinking about that and I was thinking, you know, if Hollywood came here to The Rock and said we need three people for hogs wild hogs two or three or whatever it is, who would be the three people I'd choose? And absolutely, Earl, you look more like an outlaw biker, (laughs) which is why we sent you to Tasmania in the first place, because... (laughs) So, of course, Earl would be the first one we would choose, and, of course, the second one would be Wes, and, of course, um, the third one would have to be Ken. Um, So, yeah, Ken, did you get that memo? That's good. But these guys... uh, These guys uh, motorbike across the country, and they run into some... Outlaw by yes, Rob, you can come, jump into if you like. I, I saw you put your hand up, brother. Yeah, you look good on a Harley with a leather helmet. Yeah, you look really good. The goggles and but these guys travel across and then they bump into other bikers and it's actually it's actually not hard to realise that these guys they ride a Harley and they're dressed in leathers, but they're not bikers. You know, it's not hard to realise that. I, I remember when I was in the taxis, uh, my best customers were outlaw bikers in Launceston. There was a group, and they were great. They always treated me well. They, they always paid their fare. Uh, but they had a saying amongst them that I, I didn't really understand to begin with, and I got together later on. And they would, they would reference other people and say, you know, he's a one percenter. I'm like, okay. You know, when I was in football, a one percenter was usually on the bench. But... Um, <laughs> Okay, and, and I remember asking a guy one night, and he had a belly full of grog, but he still managed to spit it out and explain it to me. I said, what's all this one percenter? I said, this seems to be a pretty high positive statement of honour. And he said, listen, he said, uh, he said, you come out here, and he said, you pick up guys at these parties. He said, these guys aren't one percenters. He said, a one percenter, is, he said, it's more than wearing the clothes. He said, it's more than riding the bike. He said, a one percenter is a guy who lives and breathes the club. I felt like saying, I didn't, because he had more tattoos than me and he was rather large. I felt like saying if I was going to live and breathe something, I might have picked something different, but I didn't say that. But, you know, there's a huge lesson in that because these guys are leaving us for dead because these guys are committed. I've seen brotherhood in an outlaw bikey gang that would sometimes put us to shame. I've seen it in football club rooms at times as well. Where you're not just an associate. And, and Jesus, he starts doing miracles, you know. You, you read the start of the Gospels, he starts doing miracles. His teachings are radical and they're different. And he begins to gather a crowd. And what we're going to touch on now is we're going to realise that he's got a message for the one percenters. He doesn't want... Jesus never came looking for associates 
Jesus makes it clear throughout all of his teachings, you know, you can, you can ride the bike and you can wear the leathers, but being a one percenter means you've got to be in a hundred percent. In Matthew chapter 5, we read in the first few verses, it says, and he, he went through all, Gal- sorry, excuse me, seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain and when he had sat down, his disciples came to him. We, we know that this is the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, but please understand, this is not a sermon to the crowds, this is a message he has for his disciples. This is a message he has for his one percenters and we, we, we think that this is in the fine print. Jesus never came selling insurance. He didn't have to put everything in the fine print. He made it quite clear right from the outset. If you're going to come after me, if, if you're going to call yourself a disciple or, or a disciplined follower of me, you've got to do more than just ride the bike and wear the leathers. You've got to be a one percenter. You've got to take up your cross and follow me. And so he calls his disciples or uh, those who are closest to him. And it says here that uh, he, in verse 2, it says, he opened his mouth and he taught them. It's very important because Jesus taught his disciples in many different ways, not always simply in the schoolroom kind of setting. But he opens his mouth, he sits down, and he has a very important message he has for his one percenters. If you're going to be a disciple, if you're going to be a one percenter in the kingdom of God, Jesus says, this is what it looks like. If you want to know what full commitment looks like, He says, this is what it's going to begin to look like. He starts in verse 3 with blessed, the word blessed. I want to tell you today, I'm going to sound like some pretty popular preachers on YouTube, but I'm going to tell you today, God actually wants you to be blessed. God wants you, the word blessed means to be content and to be happy. God actually wants you to be blessed. Here's the problem we have. We measure it incorrectly. The, the problem with blessing is we've always thought, well, God's blessing me when everything's going right in my life. You ever, taught, you ever listen to Paul in the epistles? He would take a completely different tact. If that's the case, Paul and Peter would like a refund. God, I'm hanging out for a refund here because uh, things didn't always go right in Paul's life. Paul decided, I'm going to Rome. He announces it to everybody in Jerusalem. They all weep over him and tell him not to go. On his way to Rome, he's stoned once, which means a little bit different than what it does today. He was stoned and left for dead. He was flogged. He was beaten. He was shipwrecked twice and spent nearly 12 months on an island where he got bitten by a snake. And he says how blessed I am. And we've distorted what it means to be blessed. We measure it incorrectly. We measure it according to our bank account. We may measure it according to the title we have when we get to work. We, we may measure blessing because everything's going well in our lives. But can I, I want to tell you, uh, the greatest blessing God can give you today is anything that will make you more Christ-like. Because when you stand before him, he's not going to want to know what's in your bank account. (laughs) He's not going to want to know what car you drove. God's not going to want to know what your position and title was at work. When you stand before God, he's going to say, and he's going to be expecting a response of, I gave you my Holy Spirit and the fullness of salvation. How Christ-like are you? He's fashioning us 
into the image of his son. And C.H. Spurgeon says beautifully, I love C.H. Spurgeon, I wish he was alive now. People like Charles Spurgeon and Keith Green needed to just keep living. And Charles Spurgeon says, here's one for you, Earl, Charles Spurgeon, you can take this one back to Lagana for you. Charles Spurgeon says, you know, in our prosperity, we hear God. But in our adversity, we see him. And Job got it. You read the story of Job and all the hardship and the suffering and everything that Job went through. And by the time you get to chapter 42, verse 5, he says, Up until now, I had heard of you with the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Blessed. We call these the Beatitudes. John Maxwell says that attitude is not everything, but it does make the difference. The Beatitudes are actually uh, more, it's, we would say, if you read it initially in the Greek, it would say the blessings. But uh, Jesus never used the word Beatitude. But let's have a look at some of these attitudes. Let's have a look at some of these kingdom characteristics that Jesus says. These are, if you want to know what a one percenter looks like, Jesus says, I'm going to show you what it looks like. The first one Jesus says is, blessed, verse 3, are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Hang on a second. Doesn't this sound like an oxymoron, but it doesn't. Do you know that not only the entrance, but the habitation in the kingdom of heaven is, is founded completely on this? Because when we are poor in spirit, we absolutely fall at the feet of Christ and say, I have no spiritual assets. I am completely and utterly spiritually bankrupt. I I can't save myself. I have no righteousness within myself. And it's at that point that Jesus says, here's all of my assets. That's what redemption is. Redemption is Jesus says, I'll take all of your bad and I'll give you all of my good. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Why, Jesus? Because theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven are the same thing. Isn't it interesting? Jesus came, he is the king, but he would be born in a stable because they had no room for Jesus. He would come to set up a kingdom and when he's looking for disciples, as we discovered a couple of weeks ago, he doesn't go to the temple. He goes to the shores of Galilee and finds fishermen. And he comes to set up a kingdom and we can't measure this kingdom by physical parameters and boundaries. We measure it in people's hearts. By his dominion and his reign and his rule in our heart. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who recognise that outside of Christ, I'm spiritually bankrupt. But inside of Christ, I'm a quadzillion trillionaire. Financially plan that one, brother. He paves his streets with gold. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. What? This sounds... Jesus, what are you saying? You want us to be... No. But those who are poor in spirit will mourn. There is not enough mourning over sin today. We, we water sin down. We, we try to justify it. We try to describe it. And Jesus says, you should be weeping over it. And for those that weep, you'll be comforted. Why? Because in repentance comes the fullness 
Blessed are the poor in spirit. It gets better. Can I ask a question here this morning? Who would like to see more of God? You're going to get that answer. That's fantastic. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. What does it mean to be meek? Uh, Meek is a descriptive word for an inwrought grace of the soul, which is exercised firstly. It is uh, for those who are meek, they accept what happens in their life as the goodness of God to them. For those that are meek, they say God is good and everything that comes into my life will eventually be for my good. Meekness is a submission to authority. Meekness is very close to humility. Sometimes we misunderstand humility. We think humility is making less of ourselves, but it's not. Don't you dare make less of yourself. God took particular time to fashion and to form you while you were still in the womb. It's not making less of ourselves. It's making more of God. Blessed are the meek. Being meek, one way to sum it up, is it is surrendering to the sovereignty of God. We see a beautiful example of this in the life of Christ when they decide to go across the lake and a huge storm hits the boat and all the disciples are panicking and all the disciples think they're going to die and they turn around to Jesus and he's having a snooze up the front. And Jesus can sleep in the middle of a storm when the boat looks like it's going to flip over for one reason. He knows that I rest in the hand of God and this boat ain't going to flip unless God's going to let it flip. Everything's all good. Surrendering to the sovereignty of God looks like God's in control of my life. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. I love this next one. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. The word hunger here is to have a strong desire or a craving for If there is one thing that is so often mixed up in our lives, it is what we hunger for. It's what we crave for. It's what we thirst for. Jesus says that my one percent is they, if you're going to be a disciple in my kingdom, then you you will desire differently than those of the world. You will have different desires. You will, you will have different longings. And in the Psalms, we remember that... Jesus says, as, uh, sorry, uh, David says, as the deer pants for the water. And, and we kind of miss the illusion that David's trying to paint there when uh, a deer's not silly. It's not going to wait until it's nearly dying of thirst before it goes looking for water. But it is a great picture uh, of a deer that has, has roamed many miles looking for water and can't find any. And David says, as that deer then pants for the water, so my soul longs for you, O God. That's the same kind of intense desire. And... Uh, I wrote this morning about deer, and you can read that later on, but I, I know this, when, when deer are thirsty, that thirst overcomes everything else in their lives. Every other priority in that, in that animal's life drops out in an instant, and the only focus they have is I must have water, and when I find it, I must have more of it, and I must have more of it, and I must have more of it. It's that same kind of hunger we 
So often we are the ones that are impoverished. So often we are the ones that are starving for two reasons. First one is we hunger for everything else apart from what we should be. The other reason is when we are hungry uh, and to the detriment of some leaders, sometimes we are fed incorrect food. Jesus said in John chapter 6, he says, I am the bread of life. And in the moment that Jesus says that, he says, you can go wherever you like in your life. You can, you can search for satisfaction everywhere that you like, but you're not going to find it until you find me. And we do try to, we try to satisfy ourselves with career. We try to satisfy ourselves with social status. You know, our, our world falls apart when somebody unfriends us from Facebook. Well, Jesus isn't on Facebook. Blessed are those that hunger and thirst for righteousness. And uh, I love this word righteousness because it does speak about our right standing with God, particularly in the book of Romans. Romans speaks about a right standing with God and how Jesus has now placed us in the position where we stand in a right relationship with God if we walk into that. It definitely speaks about that. But it speaks more about a hunger and a thirst for living in the revealed will of God. That's what it means. You hunger to live in God. God's revealed will for your life. I was talking to uh, Josh and Steve this morning about this. And for, for those that caught David Storer on uh, the gift of disillusionment a couple of Sunday nights ago, uh, I thought he explained it beautifully, where we kind of, God reveals a, a, a certain part of his will for our lives. And when we step into that, he reveals another part of our lives. And when we step into that, but he never gives us the complete picture all at once. And the best example I can give you of that from the Old Testament would be Abraham. God says to Abraham, pack up your bat and ball, paraphrase, pack up your bat and ball, leave your village, leave your father, leave your mother and go to a place. There's no mention of Isaac. There's no mention of a grand nation at the beginning. It's just get up and go. And the minute that Abraham does and he steps out, then God says, now I'm going to take you to a place where you will be a nation. And Abraham's first response is, I don't even have a son. And I will give you a son. And so it keeps going on and on and on. And until you step into the first part, you don't get the second part with God, I've noticed. But what Jesus says is, you know what? Those who come after me, the disciples that will come after me, will hunger and thirst for righteousness. You will hunger and thirst to live your life in the revealed will of God for you. You will hunger to stand in a right standing and keep short accounts. And those who do, Jesus promises, uh, you will be satisfied. And the word satisfied means to be filled, both having our fill and being satisfied, but at the same time, craving more. It's like, <clears throat> I don't know anybody here who has experienced it, but if you ever taste Lynn Keane's apple crumble, <laughs> two things will happen to you simultaneously. You will have your fill and be satisfied and you will crave more. One of Lynn's son-in-laws comes over for tea just to eat the dip. <laughs> when you have just a morsel, you are not satisfied until you can have more. And that's what it's like with those that come after Christ. No apple crumble, but you can certainly 
have your fill. Let's, let's work briefly through to the next one. This next one is, it says, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. When God is merciful to us, He demands that we be merciful. To the level that we are merciful is to the level that God shows us mercy. Mercy looks like, <clears throat> most of us don't like it, but mercy shown is mercy demanded. Mercy is to be given as God gives it to us. Uh, mercy gives grace and favour to others even when they don't deserve it. Because that's what God did for you. In fact, that's what God does for us every morning. Your mercies are new every morning. God really should probably just wipe us off the planet. Uh, I don't know if I've said this before, but I'm going to say it and make it absolutely clear. God actually treats us enormously unfairly. Do you know God's unfair to you? And before you start looking for another pastor, the, the sum total of grace is treating people unfairly. That's what grace is. Grace means I treat you like you do not deserve. I'm going to give you favour when you don't deserve it. I'm going to give you all of my mercy and all of my grace and all of my love even when you don't deserve it. That's what grace is. It's treating people how they do not deserve. That's what mercy is. Mercy is... Mercy is being the first to say sorry. Mercy is offering love when you're offended. And I know everybody's going quickly, move on, please, Pastor, move on. We, we need to get past this point. But mercy lets go of their end of the rope in the tug of war. I know when I was in high school, you were taught you don't let go of that rope. I, I can remember being dressed. But mercy says, you know what, I'm not going to fight you anymore. I'm just going to let go. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall be shown mercy. Here's the, here's the next one I like. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. What a beautiful promise. What an absolutely glorious promise that God gives us right here. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And, and purity is as one being cleansed. And if you're sitting here this morning and you're wondering to yourself, what does it mean to be pure in heart? We're going to unpack this a little bit more, but you can basically sum it up with uh, purity of heart is who you are when nobody else is looking. Purity of heart can be found in the conversations you have with yourself about other people. You ever have those conversations in your mind about other people? I'm a pastor, of course, I don't have those conversations. (laughs) Purity of heart is what you think because nobody else can see your thoughts but God. And purity of heart is it doesn't matter where you are, You're the same person. Purity of heart goes past riding the bike and wearing the leathers. Purity of heart says, this is who I am. And we're comfortable with who we are. Do you know it's okay to be who... I want everybody in this room to know, it is okay for you to be just who you are. Nobody in this room has to change themselves one bit. It's okay for you to be who you are with all of your quirks and perks because we've all got them. The only normal person is the pastor. We know that. (laughs) If you could ever measure normal. There's no measurement for normal. 
And it's okay to be who you are. It's okay to be different. Purity of heart speaks about a wholeness. And wholeness uh, does two things. Firstly, wholeness means that on Monday when you're at the gym, you're the same person as what you are when you're here on, on Sundays. And, and wholeness looks like when you go to work, you're the same person as you are on Sundays. And wholeness looks like we tear down those dividing walls. My brother Basil loves the pie analogy. But most of us, if you can imagine our lives as the pie, most of us uh, segment our lives. And there's a piece for work, and there's a piece for family, and there's a piece for apple crumble. There's a piece for all the sections in our lives. There's a piece for church. There's a piece for this... And here's a little piece for God over here. And we, we're missing the point. God never said you're allowed to make him a piece of the pie. What God says here, purity of heart looks like, God is the pie that we then divide our life up into. It's like God is the whole train and we have different cabooses, but they're all driven by the one. Our whole life is made up in God and we segmented that way. It's, it's living on the outside what God has put on the inside. It is, <clears throat> as uh, A.W. Tozer says, it is tearing down the wall between the secular and the sacred. And if we're honest, if we're honest with ourselves as we sit here this morning, there are too many times we divide a wall between what is secular and what is sacred. We we have, okay, this is where I'm spiritual and this is where I'm secular. And Jesus says, it was never meant to be that way. I want all of your life to be spiritual. Blessed are the pure in heart because they will see God. And I love this. By seeing God, does that mean God's going to all of a sudden appear? Seeing God means our blindness is evaporating. And what Jesus says is, if you want to see more of God, if you want to live closer to God, if you want to draw closer to God, it is those that live a whole life, happy with who they are, all of our failings, all of our weaknesses, all of our strengths, all of our giftings, happy to be the whole person who lives the same no matter where they are and what environment you're in. We're going to have a look at what that looks like when we finish. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, P-E-A-C-E, makers. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God, the chips off the old block, so to speak. Peace can be summed up. There are two types of peace. Firstly, we have peace with God, and secondly, we have the peace of God. And having peace and being a peacemaker is being free from disturbance. That's what it means. Peace means free from... Having peace with God is no disturbance between you and God. And having peace here means there's no disturbance here. Revelations chapter 4 verse 6, when John sees a vision of heaven and the throne of God, he says there's like a sea of glass and crystal before the throne. What's that speak of? Complete calmness. The presence of God, there is complete calm. God calls us to be peacemakers, those who not only 
seek peace as a mediation, but also seek peace amongst one another. And sometimes that means you've got to be the first one to raise the white flag. Blessed are those who make peace. We heard about this one last week, and I believe Stu Robinson had a message for us in Western society today. There will be increasing persecution. Blessed are those who are persecuted. And I was sharing, I think, with Brother Richard this morning. And <clears throat> Bonhoeffer, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, was executed by last command that Adolf Hitler gives in World War II before he kills himself um, is kill Bonhoeffer. And Bonhoeffer was on radio. He was a pastor in Germany. Long story short, Adolf Hitler, before he was ever in power, is making legislation changes that sounded somewhat dodgy. Bonhoeffer puts his hands up and says, you know what, we need to be careful here because this could mean this, this could mean this, this could mean... And everybody in the church and everybody, in the, uh, everybody within the biblical community was like, what are you worried about, Dietrich? This is fine. It's, it's not going to make any big difference. It's, it's no big deal. And then in 1939, Adolf Hitler seizes power. The first move he makes against the church is to make it state, uh, uh, run by the state. It's the first move. He, he shuts down the voice of God. The church can't operate unless under the power. And then everybody turns around to Dietrich Bonhoeffer and says, we're in a little bit of trouble here. Yes, they were. Persecution comes in many forms, and we may be seeing small incremental changes now. What are you worried about? Who cares if two people of the same sex want to get married? I'm not worried about what anybody else does. I just believe in the sanctity of marriage. I believe marriage is important. But small compromises move us towards an approaching persecution. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I want to jump down now as I bring this to a close this morning. You might be sitting here and you might be saying to yourself, what does this look like? Jesus gave us the answer. Verse 13, he says, You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. Uh, In in the first century, salt was enormously important. Yes, salt added flavour. That's the number one thing. Wherever you placed salt, it would add flavour. And I want to I challenge everybody in this room this morning. Are you adding flavour where you go or is the world flavouring you? I, I just want to lay that challenge at all of our fleet, feet because salt is supposed to bring flavour. The second thing that salt did in the first century was it absolutely arrested decay. God has put the Rock Christian Church right here to arrest the decay around us. Sin will eat away and decay people's lives. We have the enormous pleasure of witnessing some of the extremities of that on a daily basis here. People walk through the doors in enormous problems. Jesus says, my one percenters are like salt, They flavour wherever they go. Do you take the flavour of Christ wherever you go? Secondly, Jesus says, you are the light of the world. Not you must become salt, not you must become light. You already are, 
You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. Light illuminates and reveals we are the light supposed to and charged and urged by Christ to illuminate and reveal him in this world. Darkness increases where there is no light. Light does not create what is in the room. Isn't it interesting that if you walk into a dark room and turn on the light, it doesn't create the furniture, it just reveals what was already there. God has called us not to create or make anything, but simply to reveal the fact that he is already there. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Light exposes and lays bare. We are supposed to reveal, shine and expose the truth of Christ and God as the reality of salvation everywhere we go. But there's a catch. The last part, Jesus says, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. And by the the word let there means to not to prevent or forbid, which means that we can prevent and we can forbid the light that Christ has placed inside of us from shining forth. We, we have a world that is searching for answers. We have a world that is searching for purpose and meaning and they're looking in all the wrong places. Jesus says... You are the light. And where are we supposed to shine that light? Before others. I know there's people in this room now that are probably thinking to themselves, you don't know my past. You don't know all the wrong things that I've done. You don't know the amount of people that I've hurt. And can I tell you, please, never shun your past. Because... Light always shines the brightest against some of the darkest backgrounds. All of, the, all of the wounds in our lives are what God uses to heal other people. If I walked outside this room right now and I turned a torch on, nobody would really be able to see the light. It's like, has he really turned it on? But if you walk out here at midnight and you light a torch... People will see that light for miles. And sometimes against the darkest backgrounds, that light stands out ever more glorious. All of us in this room, every single one of us, have a dark background. But I want to encourage every single one of us to shine his light ever brighter against that backdrop. As I finish this morning, I'd like to ask just two questions. The first one is, will you resolve to tear down the divide between the secular and the sacred in your life? I challenge everybody else in this room here this morning. Will you be a one percenter for Christ? Because there's something like 120 or 130 people here on any given Sunday. And if 120 and 130 people give 1%, that's 120%. Jesus calls us not just to ride the bike. Jesus is calling us not just to wear the leathers. Jesus is calling us to follow him.
and abandon everything. Let's pray. Jesus, I pray for every person in this place that you would open eyes to see more of you, Lord, and that in this place, I pray that you would find one percenters, Lord, that live and breathe and are committed to the extension of your kingdom. Jesus, you are magnificent and you are glorious, and I pray. My request is this, Lord, that you would shine that glory and that you would shine your magnificence through every single one of us in this room. We ask this in your wonderful and glorious name this morning. Amen. If you need prayer for any reason this morning, please come and see myself or one of the leadership before you head off. But please don't run away. We have some special celebrations to continue. Um, and we have morning tea and coffee available. So God bless you. We hope to see you back tonight. And uh, please enjoy some fellowship before you go. Thanks for listening to the Rock Christian Church podcast. To be notified when the next episode is available, subscribe on our website at therock.org.au. You can also connect with us on Facebook at The Rock Christian Church. We hope you have been blessed today and we look forward to you joining us for our next episode.